You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. I start off with a quote just to get this thing rolling. So today I'm going to talk about a real estate one. Real estate is an imperishable asset. Ever increasing in value It's the most solid security that human ingenuity has devised. It is the basis of all security and about the only indestructible security. Russell Sage. So obviously real estate, this is a real estate podcast, but buy some real estate. Long story short, make sure you get your hands on it. But I got a guest today. We connected some years back. I'm really excited is not the word. I'm just intrigued to hear what he's done and what he's doing. And so we're going to dive into it. John Acocha is the managing principal of Acocha Equity Partners and a full-time real estate investor. He started his real estate investing career in 2013. He is a general partner in over 1,600 multifamily doors. John is a master at assessing and analyzing property and market fundamentals for new acquisitions, as well as financial modeling for new investments. John easily builds strong relationships with brokers, property owners, and passive investors. He works relentlessly to vet and acquire investment opportunities that deliver above average return to his investors. John holds a bachelor's of science in economics from Texas A&M University. He's a good friend. So John, welcome to the show today, brother. Thanks for having me. So real quick for our listeners that are watching, which we're getting some amazing traction. Kyle is killing it in the background, him and his team. He's been with me from the first episode to now. I don't even know how many episodes we put out, but it's going really good, actually. I'm getting a lot of good feedback. Tell me, for everybody listening, who you are, where you're from, and how did you kind of find your way to real estate and become a real estate entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a long story, but I'll go ahead and dive into it. <laughs> you got 30 so, seconds. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, my name is John Acocha, born and raised in Arlington, Texas. Went to Texas A&M University. That's actually Ooh. where... No, actually, I'll dive into that in a little bit. So... How I got started in the real estate side of things, it all started when I was 17. One of my really, really good friends, he gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So that was maybe 16. I was after school. You know, I was trying to join all these groups because school I can what, what my number one school was AM. So I was trying, I was doing all these school, I was doing all these classrooms, all these extracurricular activities to try to get into AM because I know that they would be looking at different things like that. And there was someone that I met in the class that I noticed he was a little bit different. I noticed that he, he dressed a little bit differently. He was really, really preppy. And he was the only preppy guy in like basically my entire school. No one was really dressing like that. I was like, <laughs> oh, what's up with this guy? You know, so we started talking and he seemed like really smart. And, you know, we we're walking and he was like, hey, man, like, I think you should check out this book. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, okay. At the time, I didn't really read books, didn't really like books at all, you know, you know, I, I felt like in school, they forced you to read books and it was always books that you weren't interested in. So I never had a really good experience with reading books, but it was the first, probably one of the first books I've read front to cover in like three days. I mean, I snapped it up and read, read all of it. And after that, I mean, I'd start going to seminars, start going to real estate seminars. I heard, I remember hearing a Rich Dad seminar on the radio and I, I was there. Went to that Rich Dad seminar and I met my first millionaire, met my first millionaire. What year was this? This was... 20, this is either 20, I believe it's 2012. This is okay. 2012. Okay. That just sets the stage for where we're headed with your story. So 
Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people want to write it off. Like, he's been doing it for 30 years. Like, no, he, he, read his, he read the book. And then he met his first millionaire in 2012. Okay, keep going, brother. Mm-hmm. So I met my first millionaire. And that's in that same, in that same, in that same area, in that same, well, there's other mentors up there, but in that same area, one of the mentors was telling, uh, teaching us how to look for, to look for investors that would buy the properties that we're going to wholesale. They're teaching us how to do the wholesale side of things. So I found someone who mentored me on wholesaling and he taught me how to wholesale. I did a couple of wholesale transactions. I did that. And I went to, at the time I was at Texas A&M Commerce, actually at the time I was at Texas A&M Commerce. And then I transferred to Texas A&M University. And while I was there, I, I remember talking to my mentor and he would tell, he was telling me, he's like, hey, John, you know, people wholesale apartments as well. And I was like, what? Wholesaling an apartment? Like, how's, like, how's that possible? You know, it, but yeah, he was talking about wholesaling different commercial properties and wholesaling different real estate assets. And it sparked my interest in multifamily. And I was probably maybe 19 at the time. But I was super ambitious. Like at 19 at the time, I was already trying to start learning how to wholesale apartments. I was going online and trying to figure out, like, you know, how do I get into this industry? And, you know, one day I just walked up to, I was at, I was at an apartment complex in College Station. And one day I just walked up to the front and I was like, hey, I'd like to speak to the owner. You know, just walked up to the front of the apartment complex that I was living at and said, hey, you know, I'd like to speak to the owner. It's like, oh, like you want to speak to, you know, you want to speak to Mr. L. So yeah, I'd like to speak to Mr. L. I was like, oh, well, you know, you might. Well, actually, no, this is actually, this is, this is the beginning. This is how it started. So one day I was, you know, just chilling in my apartment, not, not really doing anything. And the maintenance, one of the maintenance men comes in and I asked him, like, hey man, like who owns this place? Like who owns this apartment? It's like, oh, you're talking about Mr. L. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, Mr. L. Yeah, yeah. Where, where's Mr. L? Where can I, where can I find him? And it's like, oh, well, he, and he just tells, just gives me the game. He's like, yeah, he, he comes in every, you know, every Tuesday or every other Wednesday <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, great. So I go, remember going to the front. I just acted like I knew the guy. I was like, yeah, like Mr. L, he should be coming here on Tuesday. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. L, yeah, he'd be coming on a Wednesday or Tuesday or something like that. I was like, oh, okay, cool. See, so, yeah, I'd love to meet with him. And he was like, well, you, you can connect with him. And I was like, oh, uh, how would I connect with him? And I don't, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the front desk or the maintenance guy that actually gave me the number to his wife. So <laughs> I remember calling his, his wife and saying, hey, you know, I'm really interested in real estate and you know, I'd love to, you know, get into the, I'd love to learn a little more about it. You know, would you have time just to like sit down with me for a little bit? And yeah, he, I remember like it was yesterday, he, we met in the in one of the game rooms at that's apartments, and he was just telling me, "Yeah, you know, I've, I've been investing in multifamily for a very long time, and this is how I, you know, this is how I got started, and you know, my my dad did it, and and I asked him like, hey, do you know anybody that I could maybe talk to? Or so like, yeah, I'm gonna introduce you to another gentleman, and his name was Michael. I think I know that you know Michael, and he introduced me to Michael, and I met with Michael, and that's actually how I met. Terrence. That's actually how I met Terrence was through Michael. I remember calling Terrence this long and you know telling him, hey, you know, I'm interested in doing this. And so yeah, you should definitely talk to Terrence. And yeah, I mean, then so so there's that. And then after AM, I went to work in uh, financial advising. I always had an interest for managing money, managing people's money, and I always had an interest for real estate. So I went to financial advising and I started learning more about the wealth management process, but I soon realized like, this isn't my passion. Like I got, I got to get out. 
So I left there. I got my real estate license, started working for a company that sold investment properties to investors. One of my investors was like, hey, John, like instead of selling your properties, like, why don't you just come work for me? And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Right. And he's like, well, I'll pay you more. I was like, oh, okay. I think I'm, I think I made my decision. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I started working with him and I bought maybe 20 properties for him in like within eight months. 20, you bought, you helped him buy 20 or you bought 20? I helped him buy 20. And were they single family or like multifamily deals? These were, these were single family at the time. Okay. Okay. And one of the, one of the wholesalers that we're actually buying from, he, he approached me and said, Hey John, like I see what you're doing, you know, doing acquisitions and everything. And I told, and he told me that he had just purchased a 27 unit building and that they're looking to expand their portfolio. And that's something, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an acquisitions person. Like I can find deals. That's, that's one of my, one of my skill sets. So I told him like, Hey man, like you don't need to look any further. Like I'm your guy. I will find apartment deals for you. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that, that's kind of what happened. I, I joined their team and within two years, we, we acquired over 2000 doors. That's awesome, man. Congrats. So when you were doing that, right. And I want to, we're going to, we're going to start diving into it, digging into this, just so that people can see like, First off, I always tell people like God can't steer a parked car, right? Like you got to get out of the garage and drive and put yourself out there and take risks. Because one of the things I was telling one of my good friends, he's like a son and a brother to me, Jabari. I was like, here's the thing. On the other side of fear is all your dreams. On the other side of fear is all the things that you can become. All your potential is on the other side of fear. And you putting yourself out there like you called me, like you've never met <laughs> You called me, bro. You were like, I, I could just feel the not only potential in you, but just the energy and the the passion that you carried on the phone. And that's why I told you, and I know we kind of got disconnected a little bit just with life and stuff, but it's good just to reconnect. First off, I want to tell you that. Secondly, I want to tell you, I'm so proud of everything you've done, man. So that's why when I seen you, I was like, bro, we got to reconnect. But I knew you were going to do something special in the real estate space. Congrats. So I want to dive back into that. So you were doing a single family, doing some wholesaling. You get with this group. Is this group a capital firm that you go buy the 2000 units with? And when you bought those, were, were that, was that multifamily or was that single family? Yeah. So they are a single family investment company. So basically like a small, they're based essentially real estate, private equity, you know, small shop, real estate, private equity firm. They do multifamily units. So what I would do is I, I was their acquisition agent. So they would give me a piece of the deal as well. So they give me a piece of the deal for finding the deal. And also after about a year and a half, I actually started raising some of the capital for the deals as well. So I'd get an even larger piece of the deal. So I'd really get, I'd really get inside of the deal and be actually become an owner of the deal as well. Yeah. You got to be a GP, a general partner, limited partner. You got a stake. So for our people listening that may be encouraged by your story and they're also knocking on doors, hitting the pavement, trying to find their way to crack into the industry. When you say, and I know the answer, but I'm asking for our audience, right? When you say that your skill set is being an acquisition guy, what does that look like, right? You know, like, what does that look like if I want to be an acquisition guy? Like if I say that's my way in the industry at 45 or 25, it doesn't matter. But I hear this episode and you say that, what is that like? Walk me through what that looks like. Yeah. So being an acquisition guy, one, you can't be afraid of that phone. 
you got to be willing to pick up that phone and call as many people as possible, you know, and then being able to understand, I'd say the nuance of conversation, being able to understand, you know, when someone might be more, might be motivated, knowing when to press, knowing when not to press, which, which all comes with experience. But as far as maybe the day to day, you know, at the beginning, you know, when, when we didn't really have a name, what we would do is I would get on the phone, I would talk to, we would, make, we would have a huge list of brokers. So we would go on CoStar, it's a list, pull a huge list of brokers and we'll just call, I would just call every single broker. <laughs> I was like, hey, send me, send me your deals. And at the time, the guys that I, that I was working with, that I was partnered with, they partnered with somebody that had a pretty extensive track record. They had over maybe 2,000, 2000 doors and they gave us the permission to put ourselves as a partner on that track record. So when we were calling these brokers, you know, we weren't talking to them like, Hey man, like I've never, you know, I've only done one deal and you know, that kind of thing. It's, Hey, we've, we had our schedule of real estate has over 2000 doors on it and we're looking to purchase more properties. So the approach was a little bit different as well. So coming, coming from a place, a place of strength, it's easier to get deals done that way. But the way I looked at it, like you know, kind of like my philosophy when it comes to trying to get deals, even like on the single family side, is I would approach people that would already would really they already have deals. So for example, on the single family side, I would approach wholesalers. And you know, 95% of the deals most of these wholesalers will tell will send you are not are not good deals. <laughs> but the way I would look at it is like, okay, well, these guys are doing all the hard work. It's like if I call a hundred wholesalers. Who are, who are calling a hundred sellers a day. I just called, you know, what, let's say a hundred times a hundred. I just called a hundred thousand sellers. Right. Mm-hmm. So I looked at that. I look at the way to, to scale and to leverage. It was like, okay, the more wholesalers I can get in contact with, the more deals I'll have access to. And I look, I took that same idea and brought it to multifamily as well. It's like the more brokers I can have access to, the more deals I, we can have in front of our faces. And, you know, the higher chance of getting something off market as well. No, that's good. So a couple of things you said, obviously you got to be ready to get on the phone. You got to have tough skin. Do you need scripts? And do I need a call list? Where would I get a call list and where would I get scripts? Yeah, that's no, that's a really good question. Scripts. Yeah. I, I would, yes, definitely. Definitely have a script because you definitely want the other person on the phone to know that you know what you're talking about, even if you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so a script is very important because <laughs> you, you want to you ask the right questions. Because most of the people in this industry will know right away if this if the person they're talking to knows what they're talking about or not. They'll know yeah, right away. Yeah, I'll pick you apart in seconds. You know, yeah. 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 I'd say script is very important. As far as finding a script, I got the script from the guys that I was working with. You might be able to find a script online, or you know, hey, if you email me, I could probably email if, if anyone who's watching emails me, I don't mind emailing you maybe a script that you know I use, that kind of thing. But yeah, you can find one online. I'm pretty sure there's multiple scripts that you can find online on YouTube. No, that's good. Yeah. And I think the people need to understand the value of having, like you said, you talk about leverage and scale, being able to tell somebody on the phone that you're a part of a a track record of 2000 units. It gives you immediate credibility. And that's where I try to get, you know, realtors, investors, brokers, people to understand, like partnering with the right person or being associated with the right person. It gives you immediate credibility. So like obviously here in College Station, when people were joining TM5 and at that time, I'd you know been number one agent or top five every year for 10 years. 
when you walk up to someone's door and you have the TM5 brand on, it gives you immediate credibility, whether, you, whether you've done a deal or not. And I used to actually coach my agents on that because you get these new agents and like, well, I haven't sold anything. But yeah, TM5 has done a billion in sales. Use that, you know. So, no, I love that, man. I love that strategy. And that's a great hack for y'all out there listening. Find a mentor, associate yourself with the right team or group who has the track record and then use that until you build your own track record. So that's an easy, amazing hack. So 100%. when you're looking at these deals, like you said, 95% of the underwriters are going to send you BS. Yeah. What are you using to identify the right 5% of deals? Like if you just eyeball something really quick, here's the five metrics I look at. Here's the two things I look at. Here's the one. What If you were telling that to me as a brand new investor or a seasoned investor, what are you looking for when you're identifying the right deal? Yeah. So when I was on the acquisition side, so now, now I'm raising I'm raising capital and you know more on the doing a credit strategy on the real estate fund side. But when I was on the acquisition side, at the beginning, you know, it was a little bit it was at the beginning, I would have to, you know, go through different deals. And even if it wasn't really a deal, I have to put it into the underwriting. And basically it's like, okay, just like cash on cash hit, you know, eight to ten percent, something like that. Nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, with higher cap with Nowadays, with you know cap rate compression, people are looking for people are okay with less, you know, less cash on cash, and it really just depends on what your investors are looking for. But generally, after I understood the market that I was in, what I would eyeball the purchase price. I would eyeball the purchase price per door, and then I would compare it to the average market rents. Mm-hmm. And if the purchase, let's say. Let's say the purchase price was, you know, for example, let's say let's say the purchase price was maybe eighty thousand, eighty eighty thousand a door, and the average rent was in that area was nine hundred, nine hundred, nine hundred for a unit. Let's say average rent. I would look at that. I was like, okay, if this is, is this a class C deal, is this a class B deal, class A deal? If it was a class C deal, I might. I might look at it as like, oh, like this, this that number might not make any sense. Depending on the repairs, it might not make any sense. You know, because if it's a class C deal, I might want to buy it for, let's say, a little bit less than that. Which this was, you know, this was two or three years ago. Things are compl- things are even completely different now. I mean, there was a deal that we bought in Houston that was we bought it at about fifty nine thousand a door, and we're we're three years ahead of schedule. You know, when it comes to the price because of you know cap rate compression. So we're three years out of schedule. We're actually going to sell it this year. So so you know people are buying at different multiples. So it really so I'd say the main thing when it comes to buying deals, it really depends on what your equity wants. You know what your LPs want because that's that's what that's essentially what we're working for. We're working for our investors. So yep. it's like okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know eight percent. Are we looking for you know eight percent cash on cash, six percent cash on cash? I mean you have people like. Grant Cardone, who, who gives the investors, you know, the six percent. So it really just depends on the strategy. Like if you're targeting A class properties, B class properties, or C class properties, and then looking at the kind of capital that backs you and seeing what their investment requirements are, and that kind of tells you, okay, that's these are the kind of deals that I'm going to look for. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to one point you made. So when you're looking at the deal, let's say it is eighty thousand a door, and just quickly, like I said, eyeball, what do you feel like if you're going to get a unit at 80,000 a door, let's say it's class B, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. What do you think it needs to be renting for per unit in order for just a quick eyeball? Is it the whole like 1%? If I buy a house at 100,000, I need to, you know, be bringing a thousand a month? I'd say around 1%. It'll be around around the 1% rule. It'll be even better if, let's say, if it's 800,000 per unit for the price and then 900 for average rent. Like that would be perfect in that area. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be north of 1% per door. Yeah, that will always check out as far as deals Good. are concerned. Typically. Yeah, so let's break that down for you single family rental investors that have heard other episodes and we dove into underwriting before. And I always tell them like the quick way to eyeball something is you always start with 100000 If I pay 100000 with something, it needs to be bringing in $1,000 a month, right? So just 10x that, all right? So, you know, or just, just roll up. So if I pay a million dollars for something, then I know what I need to be bringing in, $10,000 a month, right? And so now if I pay $100 million for something and you just, so I always explain that. So now breaking it down on a per unit basis is a great way to eyeball it. So what's your steps? Because people always ask this question. They send it in on my Instagram. They hear people talking about underwriting multifamily. Mm-hmm. In a, not, I wouldn't say a generic way, but if you were to walk out the kind of like pillars of underwriting, what would that be like? How would you explain that to me? Here are the pillars of underwriting a multifamily deal. Yeah. So what I would do. So first, first and foremost, you have to have the financials to make sure the financials are accurate. You know, you want to get your T12, your trailing 12, and then you want to get your, your rent rolls. You want to make sure your rent rolls are as, as up to date as possible. So those are the first two things that you that you need. And then depending on the model that you have, you know, you plug them into the model, you you plug the you know the average rent. You can look at you know the average rents. You look at market rent, taxes, insurance. In Texas, taxes and insurance are one of the biggest things they can throw off a deal here in here in Texas. Taxes and insurance. So those are the one of the two major things that you look at on as far as underwriting goes. And of course, you know you're going to play your you're going to play your comps. You can look at the you know the effective the effective rate as far as effective rent in the area. You can look to see, are there any other properties coming in the area? Are there, do we have any of the same product type that is in the area? Like, is, is there a, a huge demand for that product, specific product type? You look at vacancy, you know, different things like that. You know, those, those are the things that are extremely important when it comes to underwriting. So now that you've underwritten it, what's the next step in the process, right? Do I draw up an LOI? Do I put it on a contract? What would I do next if I want to get in, if I want to be in the multifamily space? Now I've done our underwriting and obviously you guys have probably built your own proprietary spreadsheet, correct? Or do you use a service? Mm -hmm. So when I was with Elevate at the time, what we did is we, one of our partners, one of our main partners, they're out of Miami, we would use their spreadsheet. So we would have an initial spreadsheet and then we have a a deeper underwriting spreadsheet. I think I have maybe like one spreadsheet with maybe two or three tabs and then another spreadsheet with maybe 10 tabs. So, so there's that. And then do we also use another spreadsheet as well? Like Michael Blanc, he's, I heard there's many people that use his spreadsheet. So we, we would use their spreadsheet as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Michael's doing some great stuff. I'm proud of what he's doing too. Mm -hmm. And then to answer your question, what happens after that? So essentially we'll, we'll check out the deal. We'll see if the numbers make sense. And then if it's something that's off market, we'll just go ahead and, you know, maybe send that LOI. If it's something that has a call for offers, we would go ahead and send that, you know, send that LOI for what we can, what we can do with it. And from there, you know, if the, if the seller says yes, they sign an LOI, we would go out and we would do our, 
doing the initial walkthrough. We'll do the initial walkthrough, see if there's anything uh, we can look at. Yeah, we'll just you know see if there's any big ticket items essentially, and then once we've done that, if everything checks out, send the PSA. Yep. So what's an LOI and what's a PSA? Uh, LOI is a letter of intent. It's a essentially it's like essentially it's a gentleman's agreement saying you know if everything checks out when I do the walkthrough and everything, we can go to the PSA, which is the contract. PSA stands for Purchase and Sale Agreement. So I thought it was public service announcement. Oh yeah, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, so yeah, so what is a PSA? Before I interrupted you, joking around. <laughs> yeah, the PSA stands for the purchase and sale agreement, and that that's the contract. So mm-hmm. after the LOI, after you send the LOI, they accept it, and we do the initial walkthrough. You could, after all that that entire process, you can go ahead and send the PSA if everything checks out. Love it. So I want to hit, I got a lot of questions. I'm going to hit you with, so I'm going to go rapid pace. All right. And so we're just going to do popcorn style. So what's the most surprising thing you wish you would have known before, you know, when you first got into the, the real estate industry that you now know that you wish you would have known? What is that? Mm. Most surprising thing I would have. First thing to come to mind. Dang, did I stump you like that, brother? Uh, well, I would, I would say, I would say the people, and just being able to understand and navigate people. You know, real estate, it could be really cutthroat. <laughs> it could, yeah. it could be really cutthroat. You could, you could meet some very, very interesting people. So mm-hmm. I would say understanding how to navigate like the legal side of things and being and being able to probably assess people better because in, in a lot of these deals, you're it's a marriage. You know, if you're with someone for, if you're going into a deal, you're going to be with them for two to five years, depending on, you know, the syndication and also probably being able to probably read people a little bit better that, you know, but that, that all comes with experience. Like, you know, that all comes with the experience in the game. Yeah. Love it. All right. Next question. What's your secret sauce or your one real estate concept that you feel like has helped you or your company be highly successful? I would I would say that it's not I wouldn't call it necessarily called a real estate concept, but I would say the biggest thing that really changed my entire life and something that I always go by that's consistently paid off for me is always surround yourself with the people that have what you want. You know, always surround yourself with the people that that have what you want. That if you want to have you know ten thousand units, if you want to have fifty thousand units, if you want to build you know, a hedge fund, always surround yourself with people that, that have it and understand that the people that have it are the ones who could actually tell you how to get it. You know, if you ask somebody with, that has a hundred houses, let's say your goal is a hundred houses and you've asked somebody that has a hundred houses, say, hey, man, like, how do I get to a hundred houses? You just going to talk to you and say, Hey man, like one house at a time, you know, it took me, you know, five years or six years or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. But if you ask someone that has maybe 10,000 houses or, you know, 5,000 houses, like, Hey man, you know, what's the fastest way I can buy some houses. He's going to give you contacts. He's like, okay, like you should talk to this guy. He can give you five houses at a time or 10,000, 10 houses at a time. And they talk to this guy to finance it. Like they have access to different resources than the guy at, you know, at a hundred houses would have access to, they have access to different information and there's a whole different mindset. And there's even, I would say different worlds 
when it comes to talking to someone that has 5,000 units, then talking to someone that has like 50,000 units. It's a completely different, really, world when you, mm-hmm. when you do that. Yeah, love it. Yeah, it's another way to hack to success. What's the biggest opportunity you see in the real estate space in the next 12 to 24 months? 12 to 24 months. Well, I'm actually going after myself. So recently, I actually just left the company. I just left the company. I, you know, so I have you know, shares and stuff like that and investments and everything. But I'm actually starting a real estate debt fund. What we're going to do is we're going to lend out MES and PREF, MES debt and PREF equity to multifamily investors. I see a lot of people getting into multifamily and getting into real estate. And I think that being able to help them buy properties and being able to help them scale would be would help be very, very helpful for them and then helpful for the fund as well, because we'll be able to scale a lot faster that way. Lovely. And I think that the fund route is is huge right now. There's so much money out here. There's so much dry powder out here that's that wants to put money into real estate. So I think that being able to, I'll say, crack the code when it comes to a private equity hedge funds and talking to people on the institutional side, being able to get into those rooms and talk to them and and then see what they need in order to place their capital. Because you know, you can talk to one guy that let's say might have $250 million. You know, the first deal, he might only give you a quarter million, but the second deal he might put a million in. And then you all keep doing three or four deals. And I actually saw this with my own eyes while I was at while I was at the other company. Like I saw somebody that and that managed a lot of money. And you know, first deal 100k, second deal 200k, third deal 600k. And before you know it, he, this guy's putting like two, one or two million into, into these deals. And I, I like I saw it with my own eyes. I was like, okay, like if I'm looking for an investor, if I'm looking for an LP, I want I want it to be somebody that I can grow with, someone that I can scale with. So I think that I think that finding uh, someone that you can scale with at a, at a large level, someone that has the same same vision as you, finding that person and then going out and buying either as many properties as you can or buying as many loans as you can. I, I think that's the next step. I think that you know the, that's the next logical step in multifamily syndication is to launch a fund. Love it. If I can help you with that, bro, let me know. Let's do it. I want to be a part of it if I can. What technology are you using that is innovative or you feel like is a cornerstone to where you're headed with your career? Is there a certain technology that you just have to depend on? Certain technology? Uh, actually, I wouldn't say so. I mean, other okay. than my cell phone. There it is. It's all right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right there. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm asking anyway. Everybody's so focused on growth and doors and success and billions and this and that. But what are you doing to get away from all that and invest back into you. Invest back into me. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just hiring coaches. I think just any, anything that someone would want to grow in to find an advisor, mentor, coach, somebody that's skilled in that, in that area to improve in that area. I mean, no matter what it is, personal, business, nutrition, everything. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, like you said earlier, the best investment someone can make is in themselves because, you know, billionaires are billionaires before the billionaires, the billions actually show up. You know, a real estate investor is a real estate. Oh, this, is, this is what I believe. I believe a real estate investor is a real estate investor before he actually even, you know, gets the property. It's like, you, I feel like you have to be the person and then it comes to you. Mm-hmm. So, 
I would say that's that's the investment, investing in yourself. So you know, I I try to read books, try to hire mentors in every aspect of life. One thing I think that's really important that you mentioned earlier is fear, managing fear. One thing that I've started to do that I actually read this in a book is I've actually started skydiving. I actually enjoy it. So when I I, I did my first skydive maybe in third last year around Thanksgiving time. And when I jumped it, I would say it's a, it, was, it was an experience that really, I would say woke me up to how life like really is because it really like empowers you to really go after your limits and really, and it, not just that, but it, it made me realize that, you know, because most people I'll, I'll talk to like, oh, like, that's crazy. You know, that's this, that's <laughs> that. But when I actually did it and looked into it, it was extremely safe, extremely safe. It was probably the probability of dying in that skydive, it's probably the same probability of someone getting to a wreck on the, on the highway, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like the same probability. It's like the, the same safety, but I, it made me realize that most people are afraid of stuff that they don't even understand that the people that they stuff, they don't even do any research into or look into. They just kind of go with the crowd and it just, it just could it really put things into perspective because if I were, would have went to really, really went with the crowd and not actually do my, do my own research, I didn't really do any research, honestly, but if I did my own research, it would, it would, it would be really safe, but I just, I just kind of went for it. But, you yeah. know, doing that, you know, if someone actually did the research and went on that experience, you know, that would see that it's one of the most blissful things that you could ever do. You know, it's, yeah. you're in the sky, you're 14,000 feet above, above everything. And then it's just like you and the the world. Like it's it very, very, it's a, it's a really, really good experience. Love it, man. So what's the one book you recommend? I always tell all my guests to kind of bring a book that has made an impact on them. What mm-hmm. would that be that you would recommend to our audience? I could recommend one book. I think it would probably be Think and Grow Rich. Okay. Honestly, Think and Grow Rich. You know, because I think that when it comes to getting goals, the biggest thing is just having, you know, that burning desire. And, you know, when it, it talks about burning desire, it talks about auto suggestion, you know, saying, telling your goals, you know, writing down your goals and then telling yourself your goals every single day, having pictures of your goals, you know, having a vision board, all of these things. And these things are, I'd say, extremely important. And, Whenever I talk to a successful person, they always echo the exact same thing, the exact same things and principles that I hear and think and grow rich. You know, that's one of the things that I've noticed, even at the highest level, you know, I've been able to relate to people that are like, you know, a hundred thousand times richer than me on energy, on understand, on, you know, on vision, on different things like that. And they, they're under, able to understand like, okay, like, you know, I, I see, I, I see something, I see something here. And I would say that that was probably my number one book. Love it, man. So let's give a final thought for our listeners. Great episode, great content. What would you leave our listeners with? And then also where can they find you? Yeah. I'd say the biggest thing I could leave the listeners with is the only thing that really stops people is fear. When people become fearless, life becomes limitless. So that, that's what I'll leave for your audience. Love it. You, you reach me at, on Instagram at Johnny Equity. So that's at J-O-H-N-N-Y-E-Q-U-I-T-Y. And that's where you can reach me. Uh, you can also email me at 
john at acochacapital.com. That's J-O-H-N at O-K-O-C-H-A-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And you know, be, feel free to reach me anytime. Love to connect. Man, congrats on everything you're doing, bro. I'm glad we connected. I want to get some time with you outside of the podcast. So let's let's connect soon, man. And then we'll send you this info when the, when the podcast come out. Perfect. Let's do it. Congrats, bro. Congrats Thanks, on everything you're doing, man. I appreciate that. All right. See you soon. Talk to you We're soon. Good, man. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com. 